All right, let's, uh, let's give Papa a hand as he's coming up, give him a bit of encouragement. It's his first time preaching. Before that, how about we just uh, stretch our hands and uh, pray, uh, pray for Papa. Um, yeah. Uh, dear Lord, we just thank you for Papa. We thank you that uh, you know, he, uh, he loves you so much. Uh, he has a heart for you. And I pray, Lord, uh, tonight um, that, yeah, you just fill him with courage and you fill him with, uh, with peace as he's communicating the word, uh, that your words will reign through him. That'll be uh, your words and not his. And uh, he'll just uh, communicate. Uh, and he knows that he's just amongst friends and, and family who love him. So it's not even that, that hard anyway. It's just, uh, it's just talking about God, which is what he loves doing. Um, Lord, uh, let us encourage him. And, uh, and uh, yeah, really, uh, I just pray he goes well tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Hand it over to Puffer. Thank you. Oh, okay. <coughs> so firstly, I'd, I'd like to introduce myself, obviously. You've heard Papa go over and over again, um, but yeah, my name's Papa, and it was a bit strange because, like, you know, it's what you call your dad or your granddad, but that's what my dad seemed to name me. He named me after my, my granddad, um, but yeah, that's just that. Um, I think, firstly, before I start, I'd like to just say a massive thank you to this church um, for giving me this opportunity, firstly, um, as the growth that I've um, been able to experience over the last three and a half years. Um, it's just been phenomenal um, and has been a real blessing. And then in particular to the gathering leaders, Ryan and Nicole, um, you've both been awesome, um, especially um, over the last year, um, seeing your growth um, and like how you've impacted me as well. Um, so yeah, just a massive thank you there. Um, so if I do get stuck in my notes today, it's just because I'm nervous. And when you're nervous, you just focus on one thing and then you try and just read the thing. Um, but yeah, I'll try and engage with you as much as possible. Um, but yeah, that's that. Um, and then <clears throat> in this message, it might be a bit heavy at a point, um, but hopefully that's not to make you depressed um, about your state, um, but rather an encouragement um, for you to um, be motivated um, to really press deep, um, to really think about um, your life um, and your relationship with God um, and all the things that um, <laughs> all the things that um, God wants you to do. Um, so uh, firstly, I'm going to stay over here. Firstly, um, I'd just like to intro um, the series. So obviously we're going through Misfits of the Faith. Um, and that comes from the scripture in 1 Corinthians. Um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 25 to 31, it says, For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and things that are not to nullify the things that are. So no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let no one boast, boast in the Lord. Um, so yeah, basically our series is about um, how God uh, can use people despite them not really fitting 
um, the mould of what we would think um, would be a person God would use. Um, so today we'll be reading from a different, uh, from a couple different chapters. Um, we'll be spending some time in First Samuel chapter 11 and chapter 12, um, and also Psalms 51. Um, I'll remind you when we get to there, um, but just like preempting that. Um, yeah, and just before we start, um, I'll just pray. Um, uh, Lord Jesus, um, I just pray for obedience to you and your word. Um, I pray that um, the words that are on this page, um, that I would speak your words um, and also just bring a, um, an encouragement, a prompting um, and motivation um, to really go deeper with you, um, to really expand our relationship with you and really know you and not just know about you. In Jesus' name, amen. Awesome. So today I'll be talking about David. Um, and so why is David a misfit? Um, <clears throat> so we know that David was actually the second, of king, second king of Israel. Um, he came after Saul. Um, he was a distinguished warrior against the Philistines, a giant slayer um, when he killed Goliath and cut off his head, um, a great leader, but it wasn't always like this. David was Jesse's youngest son, um, and his mother is said to be, um, to have been the second wife of Jesse, um, and possibly viewed by his other siblings um, and his father as an illegitimate child. Um, yet, he was the one that was chosen by God, and to be king of all Israel, as we'll get into. Um, he also slept with a married woman. Um, he killed her husband, but God still chose him. Um, the thing that separates him from the rest, though, is his heart. Um, and it's on David's heart that we focus on today. <coughs> so, what David demonstrates for us um, is that it doesn't matter what you've done or where you've come from. Um, God is looking at the heart um, and he is looking for people who know they, when, when they've stuffed up and are willing to repent. And so that's the point that we're going to just keep coming back to. Uh, that's a central point. Um, so yeah, if we look at First Samuel chapter 16 now, um, the context is basically that the Lord sends Samuel the prophet um, to anoint one of Jesse's sons as the king of Israel. And even Samuel, the prophet, um, who was sent by God to, Jess, to Jesse's family, he, he even makes the mistake of not really knowing what the obvious choice is. Like, sorry. Um, he, he even, does, he, he recognises um, someone, um, he looks at someone and he thinks that this is the obvious choice. Surely, God, this is the obvious choice. Um, but it's, it's pretty clear um, that he makes a mistake. Um, so if you just look at verse 5 now, um, Samuel replied, Yes, in peace, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to, sac to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and said, Surely the, Lord anoints, the Lord's anointed stands before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Um, 
And so, yeah, it's, it's made pretty obvious here that David was not the obvious choice. So we continue in um, verse 8 to 10, and it says, Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, The Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse had Shammah pass by, but Samuel said, Nor has the Lord chosen this one. In verse 10 we see, Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen any of these. So he comes to ask Jesse now whether there are any other sons. And so in verse 11 he says, so Jesse, are these all the sons you have? Jesse replies, there is still the youngest. He is tending the sheep. So the youngest and supposedly the illegitimate child wasn't invited to come and meet Samuel um, as he was um, coming to give the blessing of the new king. Um, but then he's sent for um, in verse 11. As we read on in verse 12, so he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, Rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of the oil, anointed him in the presence of his brothers, and from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Samuel then went to Ramah. So, <clears throat> I like verse 12. Um, I relate to verse 12. Um, I think, personally, um, Glowing with health and fine appearance and handsome features. These are all great things. Um, and I think it's, it, verse 12 is actually very interesting because back in verse 7, if you remember, um, the Lord actually rebuked Samuel for looking at the appearance. And here in verse 12, Samuel's still looking at the appearance. Um, and, but, but God sees something else. Like God has chosen this person and, call, and told um, told Samuel to anoint him for another reason. So if we look in 2 Samuel 11 now, um, most people know the story um, of what David did um, and how he um, slept with a married woman um, and you would probably all know his response in Psalm 51 um, and so that's what we're going to go through now. Um, so yeah, as we look into 2 Samuel 11, um, we see David's encounter um, with a temptation and of which he explores and bows down to the idols of sex, power and reputation. So let's just have a little read um, of 2 Samuel chapter 11. Um, so from verse 1. In the spring at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed, walked around the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a beautiful woman bathing. Um, the woman was very beautiful. And David sent someone to find out about her. Then the man, the man said, She is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messages to get her. She came to him, 
and he slept with her. Now she was purifying herself for, for, from her monthly uncleanness. Then she went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David, saying, I am pregnant. Now let's break that down a bit. If we look into the verse 2, um, and actually in verse, actually the beginning of verse 3, so where it says the woman was very beautiful and David sent someone to find out about her. So we know um, that Jesus um, actually spoke in Matthew chapter 5, verse 27, um, and he spoke saying that those, let me just read what it actually says so I don't misquote, which is on this one, awesome. Um, from verse 27, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And so we are focusing on David's heart and we see that in verse 3, um, when he finds out about Bathsheba and before he even knows that this is Uriah's wife, he's already committed adultery. Before we get down to all the way to verse 4, um, where he, she comes to him and then she sleeps with him, um, he's already committed adultery. This is before he, she even says that she's conceived, sent word to David and said, I am pregnant. Um, and I think that's a very convicting point. Um, this, this is the David um, that is the only character in the whole Bible that is described as a man after my own heart um, by God himself. Um, and that's an interesting man um, that God would describe as a man after his own heart, a man that would do this. Um, let's continue um, in verse 6. Um, so David, he sent his word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab said, send him to David. And Uriah came to him. David asked him how Joab was, how the soldiers and how the war was going. Then David said to Uriah, go down to your house, wash your feet. So Uriah, went, so Uriah left the palace and a gift was from gift from the king was sent after him. But Uriah slept at the entrance of the palace, ent entrance to the palace, with all his master's servants, and did not go down to his house. So, this king of Israel, he tries to cover up his sin. This is his first attempt, and it doesn't work this time. So he thinks of something else to do. Um... Yeah, so just Uriah's response. So David was told that Uriah did not go home. So he asked Uriah, haven't you just come from a military campaign? Why did you not go home? Uriah said to David, the ark and Israel and Judah are staying in tents and my commander Joab and my Lord's men are camped in the open country. How could I go home to my house to eat and drink and make love to my wife? As surely as you will live, I will not do such a thing. And so in verse 12, David, he thinks of another plan. And he says, Then David said to him, Stay here one more day, and tomorrow I will send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day, 
and the next. And at David's invitation, he ate and drank with him, and David made him drunk. But in the evening, Uriah went out to sleep on his mat among his master's servants. He did not go home. So David thinks, man, if I just get him drunk, he'll lose his inhibitions, this will work, it'll be all good, he won't know it's the baby from me, it'll actually be from him because, you know, how that all works and stuff. Um, <laughs> but it doesn't work because he's like, ain't going home. Um, and then in verse 14, he's like, you know what? I'm just going to kill him. Um, in the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it, sent it with Uriah. In it, he wrote, put Uriah out the front where the fighting is its fiercest. Then withdraw from him so he will be struck down and die. So while Joab had the city under siege, he put Uriah at a place where he knew the strongest defenders were. When the men of the city came down and fought against Joab, some of the men in David's army fell. Moreover, Uriah the Hittite died. Awesome, right? So good. Uh, problem solved. He's dead. No worries. We're all good. But if you look at, in verse 27, right at the end, it says, The thing David had done displeased the Lord. And that's how that chapter ends. This doesn't look like a man after God's own heart. This king doesn't seem like God, doesn't seem like someone God would choose. But what we look at and what God looks at is very different. I'll leave you with that point. Okay. So, looking in verse, so we're going to change into the next chapter 12. Um, and just read from the top. Um, the Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to him, there were two men. Sorry. The Lord sent Nathan to David. So David, Nathan was a prophet. Um, the Lord had sent. And basically there's a story that he tells um, that I'm not going to read. Um, but it kind of sets him up and says that you have done a bad thing. Um, and I am not happy with you. Um, and then the, the thing we, we need to focus on um, is in verse 13. So in verse 13 it says, Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. What a great point just there. So he has realisation, recognition, and then in, in Psalm 51 we see his response. So he's realised... Um, and I mean, obviously, at, at some point, he probably already realized that he's done a lot of bad things. Um, but he has, he has the recognition to say that when Nathan comes up and tells him that he's, he's given this description, he's given this story, um, that I have sinned against the Lord. He claims his sin, um, and he really takes that on. Um, and so, yeah, let's just remind us of our, our idea here, which is that what... David demonstrates for all of us is that it doesn't matter where you have come from or what you have done in your life. God is looking at the heart and he's looking for people who know when they've stuffed up and are willing to repent. So, let's look at David's repentance. 
So if you look in Psalm 51 now, um, and looking in the first couple verses, we read that he says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. So immediately, David acknowledges that he needs help and that the, the help he needs can only come from God. That's what he does. He knew that God's love was so unshakable and that he never runs out of mercy, um, which is why, despite the horrific nature of his sin, he knows exactly where to turn. Do we know where to turn tonight? When, we, when we've really stuffed up, we've really messed up. Like, David has done some real bad things. Real bad. And, I, I, and obviously, at some point in our lives, we have done really bad things. Do we know where to turn when, when we're really stuck? When we know that no one can even offer that forgiveness except for God? Um, and so... What I love about David is he doesn't blame the adverse circumstances. He doesn't blame a seductive temptress or even, he doesn't even blame God. Um, neither does he pretend that it wasn't that bad. Like, it was, it was kind of bad, but you know, God, like, it's, you know. Um, he's, he's not like that. He actually owns his sin. Um, if you read through again, you see um, he say, have mercy on me. Oh God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, cleanse me from my sin. So I think we can really learn um, from that because without hesitation, he just confesses it. He trusts and depends on God. And so that's the first step. Um, in repentance, that vulnerability um, to turn to God. Um, the second point that uh, I'd like to talk about in relation to David is accountability. Now, we don't necessarily see this accountability um, in, in one sense, the way that uh, the, we modernly look at it, um, so obviously. Um, but I think in verse 13 of chapter 12 um, of Second Samuel, David says to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan replied, The Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. Amazing. Um, and so I think this is a, an encouragement to us that we should confess our sins to one another. And I know this is a bit loose, um, but we see in um, the New Testament in James chapter 5, verse 16, um, it says, Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. And I think the, the key thing here that you don't want to miss is we don't need to confess our sins to one another to be forgiven. That's, that's in, rela in relation to God. The forgiveness comes from God. Um, but what James writes is very important. Without the confession of sins that you're struggling with, um, you won't be healed. And that's the, the key in this verse. It says, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Um, and, and this might be a bit edgy, but let's talk about it. Um, I'm, and so, like, I want to talk about, like, the real stuff. And I'm sorry if my list isn't very extensive, um, but specifically speaking here, 
if you're struggling with pornography and you aren't confessing and being accountable to those around you or a couple um, people that are like really tight that you trust, um, and it's going to make it very hard to be healed. If you know you're a compulsive liar or, and you don't have someone keeping you accountable um, and challenging you, and um, you, you're not going to be healed. Um, so when I have sinned, and for me personally, that is the lust of the flesh in particular, as well as the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, um, I turn to God and ask for forgiveness because that's where it comes from. But... If I also confess, I, I also confess um, and am accountable to my confidence, um, which are the people that are really close to me, um, the people that I can trust, um, to not only tell me what I want to hear, but what my flesh doesn't want to hear and what my spirit is actually yearning for. This includes people like Pete, um, whom I walk with almost daily. Um, and yeah, and so I just really want to encourage you um, that... Yes, you don't need to confess your sins to each other to, to get forgiveness, but there is healing in that, in that confession. Okay? Um, so this is the heavy bit. Um, if sin rests exclusively um, in the hands of people we have sinned against, then we are all in big trouble. Because few, if any, are willing or able to give us the grace we crave. But if our sins are primarily against God then he has the power to declare us forgiven, clean, and accepted, even if others don't. And so I think we can really delight in that um, and really take um, a sense of protection, um, of love and security in the fact that um, even if others don't forgive us, God will forgive us. And, and that's wh- who our, whom our sins are primarily against. Um, and so... Reading, going down to verse 13 and, sorry, 13 to 19. I just want to summarize um, a bit there. I'm not going to read it, but grace liberates David so much that he now actually envisions himself teaching others so that they don't make the same mistakes that he did. Um, Forgiveness for for his horrific lack of self-control will not only impact his life, but the lives of those around him. When I've been through something... Um, I, now, I now know that I can help others going through the similar or same things. It provides hope, support, and love. Um, and so we really need to be vulnerable with each other. I know everyone hates the word vulnerability because it, it comes at a cost, and it really does come at a cost. Um, but the reward that you'll get, um, it may not be monetary, um, it may not physically look like much, um, but it is so much more. Um, it is this deep healing that you can have. Um, and so I just want to encourage that. So a question that I want to pose is, do you have sin in your life that you are unrepentant of? And I just want you to reflect for a minute. So with the sin that you may may be unrepented of, you can actually apply the example of David on how to repent. Um, And basically, in summary of Psalm 51, David turns to God. He owns his own guilt and he receives the grace of the cross. 
So you turn to God, you own your own guilt, and you receive the grace of the cross. God wants your heart, your repentant heart. In the words of David, a broken and contrite heart in verse 17. Um, If you don't know what contrite means, it means feeling or expressing remorse at the recognition that one has done wrong. Um, And so the sin can so easily be forgiven, even the most grotesque, if your heart is just full of repentance, just like David's was, God will wipe away every sin and failure if we respond to him with repentance and humility. He'll blot it out. Um, And so, just a a closing scripture. In 1 John 1, verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Um, And so getting back to that point, what David demonstrates for all of us, even me, um, is that it doesn't matter where you have come from or what you have done in your life. God is looking at the heart. And he is looking for people who know that they have stuffed up and they are willing to repent. Um, Yeah, and so... David was just this shepherd boy. He was the youngest, um, possibly kind of like a rejected one in his family, but God still chose him. He was the king of all Israel. He, he really messed up. He murdered someone. He um, committed adultery. Um, but God still loved him. And what we can really learn from David is how much he trusts and loves God, um, how much he turns to him and he owns his sin and really repents um, with humility, um, with respect, um, and yeah, just his response in that. Um, And so yeah, I'm just gonna pray over you guys.